luminaries, talking to the brightest minds in tech. And my hope is that we come together to share more than technology and expertise and products, but that we share a vision of a future that is better than today. A vision of technology as the driver of human progress. Your hosts are Mark Schaefer and Douglas Carr. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Luminaries, where we talk to the brightest minds in tech, and we are going to deliver that today. This is Mark Schaefer with my co-host, Doug Carr. How are you, Doug? Uh overwhelmed with this topic today. This is incredible. It's going to be lots of fun. And the reason I'm so excited about this is our guest is James Lowy. James is uh, works for a company called TGen, the Translational Genomics Research Institute. We'll be talking more about that. But one of the reasons I'm so excited about this is we've talked to a number of different technical leaders from around the world, technological thought leaders. And whenever we have asked them, what are you most excited about? What is the technology that's really making you dream and be hopeful? They mentioned medical technology and things that are going on with the genome. So this is going to be an amazing opportunity for us today. James, welcome to our show. Hi. Yeah, well, it's uh, great to be here. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know about being one of the smartest people in IT, but I've certainly spent uh, many years doing IT. James, I'm just going to read uh, a little bit from what I got off the website about what is TGen to kind of introduce this to our guests. It's a nonprofit medical research institute working to unravel the genetic components of common and complex diseases. So this is just amazing. What can you tell us about the work of TGen today? I think that, you know, that's a pretty good description, but the way I would characterize it is it's really around trying to accelerate research to bring better treatments to patients faster. Uh, so I, I've been with TGen for a little bit over 15 years now, uh, and it's been an amazing journey as the technology that's being developed to sequence our genome has evolved. Uh, we went from a period of being able to only sequence relatively small amounts of your DNA to today where for less than less than $10,000, you can sequence your entire genome at a very high coverage depth, which really can help us give insight into how we tech. Uh, and it's really been, it's been an amazing journey. Um, TGen uh, was formed as kind of the biomedical cornerstone of, uh, of genomics research in Phoenix, Arizona in 2002. And uh, we've been very fortunate to be led by Dr. Jeffrey Trent, who's our president and uh, scientific director, who actually came from NIH, and he was one of the original guys to sequence the human genome for the first time. Uh, so, you know, when you're, when you're working with that caliber of person, it really, I think, lifts everybody up uh, to excel. So I've been very fortunate to be a part of it. And that. the work that you're doing is so broad. It's just touching so many types of people and so many diseases. Oh, absolutely. You know, we're, we're focused primarily around cancer, but we also work with Alzheimer's, diabetes. Um, we have a center for rare childhood disorders, which are a lot of mitochondrial diseases that are passed through, you know, familial uh, 
you know, basically inheritance. And, you know, it's the other passion that, that Dr. Trent has, and, and I think we share at the Institute, is around underserved populations. So folks that maybe pharma won't pay as, as much attention to simply because there aren't enough of them, mm. but they need help too. Uh, and, and the fact is, is what we can glean from sequencing these folks will help everybody in the end. And how, how did you get into this interesting field and this interesting career? Tell us a little bit about your career path. Oh, yeah. So it's, it's been interesting for sure. Um, I've been doing uh, uh, IT uh, for about a little over 25 years now. Uh, I started off working at a university running the computer labs uh, with, a, with a bunch of students. And basically, the deal was they didn't pay me much, but I got a free college education. All I had to work about 80 hours a week. Um, <laughs> so, so that was fun. Free. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then I went from there. I progressed through, through various different Fortune 500, 150 companies uh, building out large-scale enterprise systems. Uh, I was brought into TGen to help them build a high-performance computing infrastructure, um, one of the first major high-performance computing infrastructures in the state of Arizona, at least one that's, that people knew about anyway. Yeah. Um, and I've been fortunate enough in my tenure at TGen to build two systems in the top 500 supercomputers in the world. Uh, so it's, you know, it, it's been a thing where the, the, the amount of data that's generated by our DNA is truly mind mind bending. Uh, if you think about it, on average, a patient's uh, DNA requires about four terabytes of storage through the process. Uh, so if you're sequencing, you know, ten people, that that's you know not a huge amount. But if you're sequ sequencing ten thousand. You know, now we're talking about real data, you know, it's a yeah. multi-petabyte uh, type environment. Uh, so, you know, really the history that, that prepared me for this was in the high-performance computing and, and data wrangling at, at a scale that I think is coming towards everybody. Um, we're just one of the, the leaders in that space, I think. When, and to, to, to better define that data, um, I had read online that a person writing 60 words a minute, eight hours a day, would take 50 years uh, to write uh, one human genome, and the stack of paper would be as tall as the Statue of Liberty. Yeah, that sounds about right. If, of course, if I was writing it, it would be messed up because nobody could read my writing. That's, uh, that's one of the reasons I got into computers. <laughs> what is different about building the, a world-class supercomputer infrastructure you know, that, that you, have to, you have to work with that other companies typically don't? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, you know, typically what you'd see at a university in a, the supercomputing environment has to support a really broad spectrum of programs. So, you know, from, you know, astrophysics through engineering, through financial modeling. And so those systems tend to be built as a multipurpose tool. Uh, what we've done uh, working with, with Dell EMC has been to actually build a purpose driven uh, high-performance computing infrastructure that specifically was engineered to process data that's coming off the sequencers. Uh, and, you know, what this basically allowed us to do is take a, a, a timeline of a couple weeks and shrink it down to about eight hours uh, just through engineering the system. 
it, it, it's kind of funny that, that we did this, designed this system on a whiteboard in my office, and uh, about a year later, uh, Dell EMC actually productized it, and you can actually go to them and buy one of these machines today. Wow. That is fascinating. That's amazing. That's a, that's a, that's a sign of amazing collaboration. Yeah. It really is. That's so cool. Yeah, uh, it's it. I mean, in the, I mean, this is why I, I, I in IT, you know, you generally flip around between jobs every three to five years. is pretty typical. I've been there 15 years. I don't plan on leaving because I love what I do, and it's always interesting. Uh, the, the The fact is, we're we're challenged by the science. Uh, the science is moving faster than the IT technology. So to keep up requires a huge investment in time and effort in understanding new things that are coming. And that's really where you know, Dell Technologies has been huge because you know, we get exposed to early access technology and it helps us build systems that are gonna do the next generation of sequencing as this moves from more research-driven into clinical application uh, you know, at scale. So we're talking about you know, being able to sequence you know, a whole hospital's worth of patients to help get better treatments to all those patients instead of just a select few, which is kind of has been in the past. I mean, that's going to just take massive computational power. So I want to I want to hear more about this uh, this idea that you're talking about because what fascinates me is that this is truly a technology-based company that could never have existed without computational power. Uh, you are centered with software and hardware. That's really how you can only exist. And you mentioned this idea of the the medicine is outpacing the technology. So interesting. So, what what are you looking at to to bring that back up to speed? What are some of the ideas, some of the technologies that are emerging that you're saying, okay, you know, we need to pay attention to this because we got to catch up to the medicine. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great point, you know, and that and that's why, you know, the the theme around digital trans transformation really resonates because uh, we're living that, uh, we have to live that. So you know, we're looking at basically, you know, building out hybrid cloud environments that'll allow us to transfer workloads seamlessly between on-prem, off-prem with collaborators so that more people can derive benefit from the work that we're doing. Uh, you know, we believe in having, a, having an open ecosystem around genomics uh, because it, at the end it's going to benefit all of us. And you know, I think that that's been one of my passions personally. That's why I spend a lot of time doing things like this is to help people understand so that more people can go out and do these things because I think it's really important. I think that's the most unique thing that I found uh, about your company in a in a technology forthcoming like this that could be highly profitable, right? For the future, <laughs> you guys are basically have made it a nonprofit and are giving that research away. How does that change the culture internal and and the business processes that you guys work with? Uh, you know, that's 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 really a good point. Um, yeah, I'm I'm really blessed to have a team with me that's uh, most of the folks have been there for 10 years or longer. And I think to answer wow. your question, that's how it impacts is, is keeping people around, having people engaged, having a sense of purpose, uh, I think is absolutely essential uh, to success here because the fact is the skill sets that are required to do these things, 
um, are really hard to find. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I'm fortunate enough that some of the folks I have working with me are people who I would say are, are experts and leaders in IT, people who can – you could drop them in any company, I'm absolutely sure – and, and if they're listening, that's not an invitation to leave. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they will be successful uh, because that is the kind of that yeah. is the kind of people that that are required. And I think the really the culture always comes from the top. And if if you ever had, had the opportunity to meet Dr. Jeff Trent, you would understand that he is driven by helping people, and that just that goes downward throughout the entire organization. And it makes it a lot easier to get up and go to work in the morning when you have a mission like that. Yeah. I, I love that. I mean, it's it's a purpose-driven company, purpose-driven people, purpose-driven technology. And I'm sure you've seen a lot of really inspirational success stories that just make you keep going. And that inspires your people as well, uh, which is why you've had such uh, commitment and such low turnover. It, are there some stories you can tell us about some of the things that your technology is achieving that just like makes you go, wow? Yeah, you know, it, it's probably one of the the most amazing things that's, uh, that's happened while I've been working at TGen was meeting a, a, a kid, a, a kid who was about the same age as my daughter at the time, um, who was recovering from a brain cancer. And, you know, he was really interested in video games and stuff, so he wanted to meet the guy who ran the big computers because it was interesting to him. So absolutely, you know. And he came up and he said, you know, hey, thank you for what you do because, you know, I, they told me that, you know, my DNA went through your computer and that's what helped give me the drug Why I'm in remission today. Um, and this is the sort of thing that, you know, man, I, I, how do you top that? <laughs> I mean, you can't. No, no. It's, it really, uh, it's, I think it's, it's really important to remain focused on who we're trying to help and what we're trying to do. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm a geek as much as anybody. I love computers and I, I spend a lot of time with computers. But that's, you know, that's like a bonus to actually having something like that happen. How do you go back from a <laughs> from that question back to tech? I'm going to try, okay? Um, you know, you talked to before about the off-prem, on-prem, hybrid, you know, cloud solutions that you guys have. I know that um, when I was reading the research about you, that you led a really key effort to make your data storage more efficient uh, and more effective with all flash storage. Can you talk specifically about that project and, and what that did to um, – from a from a business outcome standpoint, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we've uh, we've been a long time Isilon customer. Uh, you know, the scale out capabilities of Isilon really fit with our need to build a storage system that was easily maintainable, was easy to manage, and could grow as we grew. Um, and with the introduction of the F eight hundred flash. What that did is it enabled us to basically consolidate our storage infrastructure from having a parallel file system in our, our high-performance computing environment and moving our entire high-performance computing environment over to a Luster, I mean, not Luster, an Isilon-based uh, solution. Uh, and, and what this bought us is a few things. One is um, we were having to, previously we had to migrate data between storage systems, so the bioinformaticians 
um, would actually have to spend time doing that, which is probably not a good use of their right. time. Um, we'd rather have them trying to figure out what was going on with the genomes than being a data shepherd. Right. Um, and so the Isolon with a, with a, a, a automated tiering system allows us to take the data from the sequencer through the entire process to the variants, which are which are the files that basically tell you what's abnormal about the, the, the genome uh, in a, a more automated process without a huge amount of human involvement. Uh, so really that there's a huge impact. So now we've freed up people's time. Uh, we've made it easier for folks to access the data. Um, and it really is, is all about having that flash tier available because uh, that gives us the performance that we needed because in the early stages of processing, you're taking basically a three billion piece jigsaw puzzle that was thrown into a tornado and trying to put it back together again. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's it's really compute intensive, very IOPS uh, driven. And then, you know, it, it basically is kind of the benchmark that we use to test systems with uh, because it is just a, it's a really nasty kind of problem. Um, but yeah, the flash stuff, when we benchmarked it, we found that uh, it was totally comparable, if not faster than the parallel file system that it replaced. Wow. That was definitely cool. Uh, when I remember seeing when that was announced uh, a couple you know, a couple of years ago, and it's like, man, I I asked Michael Dell actually personally. I said, hey, can you can you get me one of these yeah. <laughs> uh, to test? Mm -hmm. and, and he delivered, and we actually had had one of the alpha units that we were able to benchmark, which enabled us to move into the new architecture. And and what's really cool about that and, and that new architecture is that it's going to give us capabilities that we wouldn't have had previously, um, especially around big data methodologies and running running you know, Hadoop-based frameworks because it has native HDFS support yeah. on the Isilon. So that's gonna, that really gives us a capability um, to start looking at data in a new way um, using tools like uh, uh, Spark, for yeah. instance, yeah. Uh, which there's a lot of interest in, especially because we're starting to invest a lot of time and energy in artificial intelligence, machine learning algorithms because, you know, we've been doing the genomic data for a bunch of years now. Now with our affiliation with City of Hope, we're talking about tying in in the, the data from the EMR systems as well as other data systems. So we're talking about building out data lakes. They're going to have a really disparate group of data. Yeah. So, you know, we're going to have to figure out a way to intelligently process this data in order to, you know, achieve some meaningful results. It's a non-trivial task, especially at petascale. Uh, so, so, you know, we have to have the computers do some of the heavy lifting, and right. we believe that, that some of the, the artificial intelligence and neural network technology is going to really help us achieve that. So that's another thing we're really excited about. And uh, you know, I've heard a few things here at, uh, at Dell Technologies World so far that have encouraged me that, you know, that this is something that is a focus and there is a bunch of energy and time being spent on. And you know, we're gonna drive benefit, and when I say we, I mean the big we. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Let me, let me spin this a, another way or, or talk about artificial intelligence. Uh, another way. The obvious benefits are going to be the amazing amount of help it's going to provide to recognizing patterns and helping with the analysis. I saw an article actually just this week 
that there was some application where um, artificial intelligence, uh, an AI-driven medical test, it no longer requires human interpretation. So that was really kind of cool. It was also a little chilling in a way. So as we go forward, how do you see the human-machine interface? You know, how, how do you see artificial intelligence evolving in the medical field? Yeah, I mean, that's uh, I, I read that same article. I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting because I, I believe, and this is just my personal belief, that you still have to have the human subject matter expert to validate what the machine gives you. I don't think we have a degree of confidence in that result yet. I mean, to me, it's always the test. If it was my kid and that was their test result, what would I want done? And I, I, today, I would say I would still want a qualified professional to analyze that data. Now, where I see the value is that maybe instead of having to start with a huge amount of data that that professional has to go through, taking a lot of time and energy, can only do very few patients, to condensing that down to something where it's pretty easy to, to say yes or no based upon you know the data that's given them, and they can spend less time analyzing data and more time just making sure that it's correct. Now, in the long term, what that's going to look like, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, you, you, we already have robots performing surgery today. Um, you know, who knows how far that, that that can go to the point where, you know, you're scanned and basically a doctor doesn't have any kind of intervention. The robot just takes care of you. Um, will we achieve that? I, I think at some point, absolutely. I, I think that's going to happen. Whether it'll happen in the next 10 years, you know, that's something that, that that's probably debatable. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the ethics involved in these things are complicated. Uh, it's not as simple you know, well, it's, you know, the data says it's like, like the, the article where, you know, hey, it does better than the humans. But it's still the humans have something that AI doesn't. And, and that's the intuition piece. Uh, and, and actually, it was really interesting. I attended a, a presentation yesterday. They were talking about built-in bias into artificial AI, intelligence. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we're all biased. And when we write code, it's biased. probably, probably going to have bias. Uh, so we have a long way to go, uh, but it, it, it's, it is encouraging, you know, that, that we have tools that are going to help distill data down to a point to make it so that, so that the subject matter experts can really concentrate on the subject and not on sifting through, you know, massive volumes of data. Well, I don't think we can um, finish this show without talking about the TGen Foundation uh, and the incredible work that it's doing. Uh, and and the fact that it's ultimately funding the work that's getting done, how can companies or, or individuals get involved to support and learn more about the TGen Foundation? Absolutely, you know they are a critical aspect to uh, uh, TGen, and the, you can actually uh, uh, if you go to the TGen website at www.tgen.org, there are links on the website to the foundation where you can uh, connect with some of those folks. You know, so if it's, hey, we welcome everybody to come help. I mean, at the end of the day, it's going to benefit all of us. So uh, in my opinion, it's a, it's a no-lose uh, value proposition. Well, that's amazing. James, thank you so much for your work, for your dedication, and for the really inspiring discussion 
today. And uh, thanks to all of you for listening to Luminaries, where we talk to the brightest minds in tech. On behalf of Doug Carr, this is Mark Schaefer saying so long for now, and we'll see you next time on Luminaries. Luminaries, talking to the brightest minds in tech, a podcast series from Dell Technologies. 